0: Welcome to the Growth Enablement Madness podcast, and I'm Jim Ward, your host, CEO of BrainCell, the growth enablement company. I'm absolutely mad about helping businesses grow and scale. And in this podcast, my team and I get a chance to talk shop with industry thought leaders about a variety of growth enablement strategies, stories, and technology trends. I'm happy that you're here, so let's get the growth conversation started. Hey, welcome everybody. This is Jim Ward. I am CEO of Brain Cell, and we are a growth enablement company. We help companies grow and scale. We look at people and process and apply and leverage technology to help you get there without always having to hire at every single corner in your growth journey. I have with me today uh, my sidekick, Brian Anderson, who's our content manager. Say, hey, 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 Brian. Hey, hey,
1: hey, hey, Brian.
0: Sounded like I was having, I was a record that was stuck for a second, I Yeah, think. you and, were
1: skipping a little bit. A I thought it was bit. on my yeah. end, on the leg. But...
0: I do think it was a needle, too. I really was stuck for a second. <laughs> I have a guest with me today that I am uh, super excited about. I've read his previous book, and now it's been updated. To me, it's the Bible for understanding things you should be doing on not only your your website, but also how to get leads and not necessarily the traditional outbound way. We have the author Marcus Sheridan with us, who is the author of They Ask, You Answer and the revised and updated book now out. Holding it up, folks, for those of you on YouTube.
1: Hey, Marcus, how are you doing? It's great to be here, Jim. I got a feeling we're going to have a An excellent conversation today. I think you're right, because I am
0: a super fan of this information and your writing. By the way, your writing skills are to
1: the point. You know what, Jim? Somebody told me once that, tell me a lot, heard back in the day when I just got started online, which is it's dumb not to dumb it down. And, you know, I think oftentimes when we communicate online, sometimes unconsciously or subconsciously, better stated, we try to sound smart, almost like we're trying to prove ourselves or our brand or something like that. Whereas, what we should really just be seeking is communion. Does the person nod their head and say, Ah, now I understand. That makes sense to me. That's obvious. And one other point to that I wrote the book in the same way that I would speak from stage, which is this. If I spoke from a stage, Jim, and you were in the audience and you said, Man, that guy's a genius. I feel like I failed you. And the reason for that is because if you're saying that guy is a genius, that essentially means this is potentially unattainable for me. I can't do that. That thing that I just heard, it's not possible. Whereas in a perfect world, when I'm done speaking or somebody's done the book, they look at the book, they look at their team, they say, Why are we not doing this? This is so stupidly obvious. That's the goal. And to me, that's the essence of
0: communion. Well, you've hit that thing, hook, line, and sinker with that, because. And when I read it, and I'm reading it again, but of course I'm reading the revised and updated edition, and I'm like, man, this is so simple, and the writing style and the shorter paragraphs, perfect for me, who has uh, maybe i um, a little um, tension deficit, uh, so my comprehension goes way up when I read your book uh, or books. <laughs> so thank you for that. I wanted to ask you a question. We taught we call ourselves a growth enablement company, but I want to get from you: what do you
1: think growth enablement means? I think it means anything that allows you to become the best version of yourself. And I think the thing that a lot of people don't understand when they get in business is the old adage, if you're not growing, you're dying. It's actually true. It doesn't, people say, well, I, I like being just what I am. I just want to stay at a million dollars rev. I want to stay at $5 million rev. Well, you think that's possible until it's not. And that's why companies die if you're flatlining, like flatlining means you're dying. And if you are not growing at all as a business, it's not sure. I mean, there's going to be times when it happens. There's going to be ebbs and flows, right? There's going to be ups and downs. But overall, if you're not moving in an upward trajectory, there's a very good chance your business is not healthy. I think people don't necessarily realize it because they say, I I like things how they are. Well, you might say that, but eventually you're probably gonna be working for somebody else if that is your pure mindset.
0: That is so true. And I've been through companies uh, in a previous life that comfortable where you were and ultimately not in business anymore. And perhaps it's also about evolution because things change. And I think your book, hits again, although when I first read it, the internet is a part of that revolution and evolution. So, um, you know, you consistently drive home how people are buying today, the buyer's journey. Tell me a little bit about, and you know, I think it was chapter three, I was reading uh, what ties all businesses together, dependence on buyer
1: trust. What does buyer trust look like today? And this is like, to me, this is the building block of all businesses is trust. We cannot talk about it enough. We cannot obsess about it enough. And that's because if you think about it, a lot is changing. It's happening fast, right? With the internet or, you know, now it's Web3, right? Is supposedly around the corner. But what's not going to change? And I think that's where we have to start as businesses, if I say to someone, is trust going to be fundamental to your business in 20 years? You're going to say, well, of course it is. If I say, is Facebook going to be fundamental or is YouTube fundamental? Well, you don't know that because those are platforms. Eventually, they will die. They will die. But trust won't die because if I say, when did trust start? You have no answer. Just It just is. And so the companies that are the best at adjusting to the next thing, they don't go and, and like learn all the nuances of the next thing. They say, okay, there's a new thing. Let's do what we've always been doing to engender trust and just take it to that platform. That's the key, or that's what needs to be the obsession. That's also why there's a lot of stupid debate that happens in boardrooms. Because if we just ask the simple question, yeah, but would it induce more trust with the marketplace? That would solve so many of these frivolous debates. Should I be talking about cost and price on my website? Would it induce more trust in the marketplace? Yes or no? It's a very simple question. It's the ultimate litmus test. No, but, 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 no, stop the bots for a second. Would it induce more trust in the marketplace? That needs to be the starting point when we're discussing things like strategy, be it marketing or be it sales or whatever that thing is that you're debating about, would it induce more trust?
0: So a key question to ask about everything, I guess, when you're considering a business decision, does it create more trust with your potential buyer along their journey? uh, Couldn't agree more there as well. And what things are changing, right? Things are becoming more digital. The digital transformation era is certainly here. We've got bots, et cetera. So maybe tell me a little bit about creating trust even with these evolving technologies.
1: Once again, you go back to the principle, right? So let's think about, somebody might say, should I do chatbots, okay? Well, could they induce more trust? Absolutely, well how could they? Well, if I'm a prospect, I'm a buyer, and we know that I'm more impatient than I've ever been, and I want answers and I want them now, if a chatbot could provide that, well then it will induce more trust. And so assuming you can build a chatbot that does that, well then it's probably a good idea. Build a chatbot that slows it down, it's just gonna annoy people build a chatbot that's there, but doesn't really give them what they're looking for, then you probably should hold, right? You should wait. And so like that's the type of conversation that I'm gonna have as a business owner. And that's why we say that a trust is the building block. We start at that point and they say, okay, will this action lead to more of it? Now, sometimes, well, if we do this, this, and this, it could, and it would. Okay, can we do this, this, and that yet? but well, we can't do that yet, but we will, We you can't do it yet. And if that's the plan, then, then you wait until you can do it that way.
0: Yeah, so it's funny you answer that question that way because when I've I've looked at the uh, some of the technologies we deal with, whether it be Drift or other bots, I think the question must be, again, to your point, are we creating something that's gonna add to the trust factor? And even though it's not a human voice anymore, answering the questions that they're likely wanting answered quickly. I think might help build that trust as well. So bots, by the way, can do that. But I think what people miss with bots is strategy, to understand the strategy of what are you going to put there and will that endure will it create more trust? Are you going to answer the questions that need to be answered? And it may be contextual to a page, for example, as a part of a journey.
1: Yeah. Speaking of trust, and this is a little bit off topic, Jim, but I think it's really relevant to mention, <laughs> I had a chuckle to myself this morning because this week the week that we're recording this, I'm not sure when this is going to launch, but this is the week of August 22nd right now, 2022. It's a significant week in terms of trust because this is the big Google update this week on helpful content is what they're calling it. the helpful content update in Google. And if you look at it, and I did, I read it, and Google's big thing is we want to show our customers, the searcher, content by people for the people. (laughs) I just started to laugh. And they said, if it was purely done just to do well in search and not with the intent of truly helping the person, then it's not going to be rewarded accordingly, right? And of course, this is the essence of the ask you answer. I've been preaching from this rooftop for over 10 years now. And that's why companies that practice this mindset of, okay, we want to become the voice of trust in our space. We know in order to do this, our customers have questions, worries, fears, issues, concerns. Is it possible for us to recognize what those questions, worries, fears, issues, concerns are, and then address those through text, through video, through whatever the media might be, on our website, on the internet, etc.? The answer is always, well, yes, it's possible. Are we willing to do it? Then once we're willing to do it, then we go at those things. Now, here's the thing to trust-based content, though, and this is the part that a lot of companies whiff on. They just miss. There's a big difference between answering a question and walking around the thing versus really giving them the truth. So, for example, if you say something, why something that you sell is good, you also have to be willing to talk about who it's not good for, and this is the part that people miss. All the time, service, product, whatever, for the sake of those that are listening, because if I don't give a B2B example here, somebody will listen to this and say, well, that's a, this is a consumer example, right? It doesn't apply to me, which is so, I mean, come on, y'all. We should have advanced past that and see everything from a principle-based perspective, but humans are naturally resistant. So let's say that I have an agency, which I do, right? And I'm talking about, let's say, we're HubSpot partners, perfect case of point. Sell a software, right? Partners for that. And if I'm going to talk about, why HubSpot's good, I also need to clearly describe the businesses that shouldn't be using HubSpot. If I'm going to talk about what our services look like for those that want to implement They Ask, You Answer, I should also be willing to say, now, who's not ready to do this? Who shouldn't be doing this? In a serious, honest, transparent way, not in some Way of, well, if you don't value a dollar, we're not a good fit for you. No, no, that's BS. I mean, you really got to be willing to say it. For example, here's here's a simple way to put it from, a, again, from a services standpoint as an agency. If you want an agency that will create your content for you, that will do your campaigns for you, where you don't have to learn to do these things, but you just have someone take the control. Well, then we're not going to be the best fit for you. But if you're looking for an agency that's going to teach you how to do these things so as to empower you to do it in-house, well, then we might be the right fit. Do you see how I said that, Jim, in just a quick nutshell? It was so aware of the fact that we're clearly not for everybody, which is good, right? Because that means we know who we are. We allow the person to self-select versus trying to force them into our corner. That ain't the goal. And at this point, buyers, they're not dumb. They got the whole world of information at their fingertips. They're going to figure this stuff out. So we may as well be the ones to give it to them. And last point before I finish this little vomit I'm on, and that is people or companies, especially leaders that have been for some reason just still thinking like it's 1995 it used to be in 1995 that's the year before the internet really took off by the way okay it used to be that consumer ignorance and buyer ignorance was a viable sales and marketing strategy you could get away with them not knowing the thing they didn't know about the other company the other option the other technology the other methodology cuz they didn't have the information at their fingertips but today we know that buyers aren't dumb. They might start out uninformed, but eventually they will be informed. Thus, the choice we have is simple either we can address the thing and they can learn it from us, and we can be a part of the conversation, or we can ignore it like the ostrich with its head in the sand and just think once they get all that worked out, once they get their answers. They're magically going to come back to us to give us their business. How ridiculous is that? But yet, that's still, if we're being very honest, the majority of the marketplace.
0: Absolutely. The ostrich uh, is a perfect example in your book as well. So Marcus, uh, is this what we talk about, which is the elephant in the room? Is that what you're referring to? Is this the elephant in the room?
1: Every industry has elephants, right? Think about the actual imagery of an elephant in a room. If you walked into a room with an elephant, would you not see the elephant? So that's why your analogy is dead on, Jim, because when we talk about questions, worries, fears, doubts, concerns, all the emotions that buyers have, all those worries, fears, doubt, concerns, those are the elephants in the room. But they're elephants. It's impossible to miss them. And so the smartest businesses today... They bring the elephant to the front of the room. They say, hey, what is our elephant? We want you to know exactly what it is. Now you let us know if you still want to be here. That's the essence of smart business today.
0: And then there's self-selecting in a sense.
1: Which is empowering, which is what we all want.
0: That's right. We don't want to be sold.
1: There's a stat that came out not long ago from Gartner. says 33% of all buyers say they would prefer to have a seller-free sales experience. For millennials, that number is 44%. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that people hate salespeople, but what it means definitively is, I don't want to talk to a salesperson until I am good and ready. That is the definitive trend in the marketplace, which puts even more pressure on us to adjust and give them what they want on the front end.
0: Do you think that threatens the role of a salesperson at some level, or they have to shift? Does the salesperson have to shift to be more of an educator?
1: Well, I think it's both. If I'm being as honest as I should be, let me just say I'm a salesperson at heart. I love sales, and I think there's always a place for sales, sales teams, salespeople. But to think that how we know sales is not going to evolve would be very naive. We've got to evolve. And the way that we evolve is, most sales, I just got off, literally, off a call with a billion-dollar SaaS company before I was on this recording. Billion-dollar SaaS company. Talking to one of the sales leads, he says, Marcus, here's the truth that I know. Our customers don't want demos anymore. They want video on demand. Yes, that's correct. That's correct. And good on you for realizing that billion-dollar SaaS sales leader, because most won't accept that. And so what are they gonna do? They're gonna continue to give traditional SaaS demos. That let's be honest, do we really think in 10 years that we're gonna have a world full of SaaS demos the way they're done today? How ridiculous sounding is that? It is so contrarian to everything that we are becoming as consumers and buyers yet how many SaaS companies are holding on to this fact? Ridiculous!
0: Right. That's wow. That's a wow, right? And what are the other platforms? I'm going to use uh, the word platform to apply to video. I know you speak to video quite a bit, and I was impressed with, for example, on a contact form, having a video to the side of the contact form that's probably short and sweet, but says, what are you going to expect? If you fill this form in.
1: Yeah, see exactly what happens if you fill out this form. Exactly what they're thinking. What's gonna happen if yeah. Am I, I fill I out be this form?
0: Call to death.
1: That's exactly right. Well, I mean, visual and video certainly are the present and the future. It doesn't mean text is dead. It just means that if we're ignoring video, we are utter fools. And you know, outside of that, especially from a sales standpoint, look, we're becoming more and more digital as a society. People think naturally that the pendulum means, well, if we're becoming more digital, we're becoming less human. Does it have to be that way? Because if instead of sending you a text-based email, I sent you a video-based email for you to watch, is that more or less humanizing? It's way more. It's more humanizing than the traditional phone call was. It's more humanizing than the text-based email is. So why wouldn't I do that? Still, most sales teams don't. Most sales teams are still sending text-based electronic mail, right? So these are the the, like we can become more human in a time when we're getting very, very digital. And how are we going to do that? We're going to do that through mediums that are not just text-based. You know, certainly this podcast medium is very human. You know, so and I know you've heard this before, Jim, but it's like the like man. I mean, I've had podcasts at different times in my career, and you know, I can remember some lady coming up to me one time and I just said, Marcus, you were in the shower with me this morning. And I just started to laugh, right? I was like, really? She said, yeah, I listened to your podcast in the shower. And it's just, that's the type of thing that you just, like, nobody reads a letter in the shower, right? And it's like, even if they're reading their phone in the shower, they're not saying you were with me, right? Like the podcast was with that person in the shower. That's humanizing, man. And we got to do a lot more of that.
0: So, you see, I think that's a part of our growth and the Oldman concepts, which is not only growing revenue, but also efficiencies. And basically what you're doing is you're also giving that human more time in the day to do the other things that are really more important because you've educated the consumer or the buyer or the client prior to getting there. You perhaps have shortened the sales cycle and you've started to build a relationship. Is that a fair statement?
1: It's a very, and I love the word efficiency. There's so much that we can do to be less redundant. Less wasteful, be it from a sales standpoint, from a marketing standpoint, from a growth standpoint. Right. I'm going to move the conversation a little
0: bit now over to the selling side because I want everybody to understand this isn't just about marketing. It's about sales and marketing. When you think about uh, they ask, you answer. And what we're doing is we uh, have required everybody in our company to read this book because I recognize at this time that this is a culture that you're really designing a culture around and um, understanding what everybody, and everybody needs to be on the same page, which means just like your vision for your company, everybody needs to be on that page in order to get to where you wanna go. But everybody needs to be on the page of they ask you answer culture. Now over to the selling side, uh, you have something called assignment selling. and. That, And it's really interesting. And I know it's going to scare a lot of salespeople and even maybe sales managers. Tell us about that and how it works.
1: Well, the concept the principle of assignment selling started for me in 2014. What I was doing is I was comparing two groups of people on my swimming pool company's website. One that had filled out a form and bought versus those that had filled out a form and didn't buy. So I said, what is the behavioral difference between the ones that did versus did not buy? And what I found was... If someone read 30 or more pages of the website, they would buy 80% of the time. If they didn't hit 30 pieces of content consumed, the closing rates were about 25%, which is industry average. In other words, it was just normal. It was nothing. They had not advanced, really. So I said to myself, when I saw this, I'm like, oh my goodness. So it's obvious what I need to do. I need to get everybody that I meet with to consume, in our case, in our pool company's case, 30 pieces of our content. Of course, what's happening over those 30 pieces of content, they're either pushing themselves down or out of the funnel as quickly as possible. They're getting those obvious questions. They're understanding them, getting them out of the way so that when you actually meet with the prospect, you're so much further down that buying process, right? And it's just so much much more effective. So I said, okay, I need to have a method for doing this. We call it assignment selling. And assignment selling is something I've now trained sales teams all over the world It's incredibly effective. This is how most organizations work, okay? And this is sad reality, but I just wanna paint real pictures here that are true. Most sales departments don't even know much about the content that is being produced by marketing. And certainly, most do not integrate it intentionally into the sales process. And so assignment selling is knowing, okay, here's all the tools in my toolbox from a content perspective that I have, all the articles, the videos, et cetera. And then being very strategic with those. But it doesn't stop there. There's a way that you should do it. So for example, if you were the prospect, Jim, a lot of people, salespeople, would say something like this to you. Okay, Jim, so before we meet for a meeting on Friday, it would be great if you could look at this one video. You know, it'd be great if you could give that a look, okay? Anyway, I'll see you on Friday, Jim. And that's what they think integrating content into the sales process is. And that is a joke. Whereas, if you do it the right way, you got what it is. You've got why it matters to them based on fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Okay, based on FUD. And then finally, number three, an actual confirmation that they'll do the assignment. So it sounds something like this. So Jim... If you're going to buy a pool, you're going to spend probably a lot of money on a pool. So because of that, I know you don't want to make any mistakes. So as to make sure you don't make any mistakes, I'm going to make sure you're well-educated. So here's what's going to happen. As we're talking on the phone right now, whatever the medium is, I'm going to send you two things via email. The first thing I'm going to send you is a video that shows you the entire process of a fiberglass pool being installed in your backyard. This way, you're going to see what it looks like when the excavation is done, get sets in the ground, patio goes around it, the whole nine. And this way also, you're not going to say to me on Friday when I come out to your house, so Marcus, what does this process look like? You're already going to know. Now, the second thing I'm going to send you is a guide. This guide answers a lot of the questions about pools that you have that nobody's been willing to answer yet. Like, should I get a heater with my pool? What's the best type of heater? Should it be gas? Should it be electric? Should it heat and cool my water? Should I get a cover? What's the best type of cover? Should it be mesh? Should it be solid? Should it be solar? Should it be automatic? Now, this guide, it's a little bit long. It's about 30 pages, but I promise it'll be well worth your time. So, Jim, will you take the time to review these things before our appointment on Friday? So, if you notice, I gave you an assignment. What? Okay, it was two things, a video and a guide. Two, I explained why they were necessary. It's going to prevent you from doing this. It's going to help you to know this. You know, I teased out like all these questions that you probably hadn't even thought of as a buyer. Like, man, I really need to do that. And then finally, number three, I said, Will you take the time to review those things before our appointment on Friday? I didn't say, How does that sound to you? Fine. That's not selling, right? I said, Will you take the time to review these things before our appointment on Friday? And most people, of course, are going to say, Yes, that's assignment selling. And if you're really good, Friday rolls around that morning, you confirm that they've actually done the assignment because I can assure you, if they haven't done any of the assignment, they're not ready to buy. They're not going to buy. They're not valuing your time. But if they take the time to do those things, your closing rates are going to explode.
0: Yeah, that's the key, is they took the time to educate themselves. I'm guessing within that content that you're sending out of that 30 page, you're also talking about who's not a good fit or might not be, uh, you talk about those I want
1: them to call me up and say things like, you know, Marcus, I'm so glad you sent me that because I realized that fiberglass isn't a good fit for me and there's no need to have a meeting this Friday. I see that as a huge win, not as a loss.
0: Exactly, letting folks disqualify themselves so you've just picked up more time. And the more folks that actually do the homework and stay in the funnel, that's right, statistically, your close rates are gonna go through the roof. You'll have more yeses, because that would have been a no had you gone out to that appointment. Okay. So culture, we talked about that. And, uh, you know, it seems to me it stems from marketing, perhaps, to educate the value of they ask you answer across company. How would you suggest we, for example, hit brain cell, get the full company to understand the overall value?
1: Yeah. You know, it's that classic, what, how, why? They've got to see that, you know, what is it? What are we really talking about here? So it's like, I don't want companies go and say, we're going to do this thing called content marketing. No organization has ever just gotten so jazzed up to be the best at content marketing in their space. But if you go to them and you say, when people have a question in our space, do we want them to come to us? Yes. Do we want them to think our name? Yes. Do we want to be seen as teachers? Yes. Do we want to solve their problems? Yes. Do we know they're using the internet? Of course they are. Are they just like us? Yes, they are. So is it our duty to give them these answers on the front end? Yes, it is. Well, cool. It's called they ask you answer. That's the what? right? And then we give the clear why, why it matters to the collective, why it matters to the individual. Talk about how we're going to do it individually and collectively and what the end game looks like because of it. All right, what's in it for everyone. This is one of those things where I've seen the mistake of person gets excited, they read the book, they hear me on a stage or whatever. And then they send an email to their team and like, hey, okay, we're going to start answering all of our customers' questions on our website. We're going to start at cost and price. There's no foundation there. It's a flop it's a total flop, right? Also, you can't expect to turn your people into Victor Hugo. They're not going to be that, right? So you got to get someone on staff, like an in-house journalist person that can help produce, get, like, get that information out of their heads, out of the heads of the subject matter experts that you have on staff and get it up on the screen through text, through video, through audio, whatever that thing is. So you got to facilitate their expertise. Let them continue to do what they've done. That's how you can scale it fast. You want to talk about enablement right it's like how do you produce a lot of content from a multiplicity of subject matter experts and do it quickly you have one single person whose singular obsession in life is to derive from their brains that subject matter expertise through interviews and then getting it up on screen and that person gets the byline that person is still the star of the video whatever that thing is but now there's that one facilitator that makes it all come together
0: that's you, Brian. That better be you, Brian.
1: Word, Brian. That is totally And me.
0: I believe you're a journalist major out of a, a college, Brian? Yeah, Bachelor of Arts in Journalism
1: out of Hofstra University. There you yep. go. Even Proof the right there.
0: Right. I've read it in the book and I was, uh, you know, I heard it first from Inbound Marketing and Darmesh Shah and Brian Halligan's book about, you know, don't hire your traditional marketer consider a journalist major and uh, president of our company, Sonia Friedel, is a journalist major just like Brian. I find that they are great at asking questions. Got to be
1: curious. Yep. And gotta you got to understand how to translate complex into a way that everyone
0: understands it. Keeping that simple. Right. Okay. Well, I did have one other question about, uh, you mentioned that you know, the person comes out, we're going to do anything on costs and uh, whatever, and that was a flop. But but the concept of answering the cost question, I think is very important. And a lot of folks are afraid that they go to
1: the hospital Still the main of my existence 10 years later.
0: Is it? Yes. And let me ask you this specific question. If somebody starts to talk about cost, is it too light to say it's between
1: this and this? No. Here's the thing. People hear costs and they're like, oh, you you're you're telling me I got to put my rates on my website. No. <laughs> right. What we're saying is, You have to teach them the marketplace. What drives cost up? What drives cost down? Why are some companies expensive? Why are some companies cheap? Those are the four fundamental questions right there of a cost page. They don't have anything to do with you. Anything to do with how much you cost. The final 20% is, where do you fall? Now, that might be a range. I would suggest at a minimum that you say, like for the pool company, you'd say our average customer spends between 70 and 110,000 dollars, right? Or as an agency, our average customer spends in the neighborhood of eight to twelve thousand dollars a month. These are fair things to say. You can also say you could be more, you could be less, right? It's totally fine, but you want to teach them okay, as you're going out and you're researching SaaS products or you're researching agencies or consultants or whatever, let me help you understand what you're going to find, the different pricing tiers you're going to notice in the industry why those tiers exist, what they generally include, what they don't include, the pros and cons to each. Oh, by the way, here's where we are. Now make a decision because you've got all the chips in front of you.
0: I love it. I love it. I do. And you could even help them with the concepts of, like you said earlier, what would drive costs down? In the uh, software marketplace, it might be that you've agreed to a multi-year agreement and you could control your costs that way it is. And so you give them those those pointers ahead of time and they become educated.
1: As You know, I've got, again, this big SaaS company I was telling you about, we just did a whole cost thing, first time they've ever done it as company. By the way, it ranked number one on Google in the first 48 hours. Surprise, surprise. Anyway, they explain very openly how there's freemium products. They gave the pros and the cons to freemium products in the marketplace, right? They don't have a freemium, but did they ignore it? Heck no, because that would be dishonest and disingenuous. So they openly talked about that. They talked about lower tier. They talked about middle tier. They talked about upper tier. They talked about how they really fit the middle to upper tier. They helped people know if they weren't a right fit for that. It's like, it looks like it's glorious. Glory! Everybody wins.
0: Yes, exactly, and everybody wins in the fact that not only did the customer win, but also the person uh, who's selling.
1: Salespeople love this stuff. At first, they get afraid because they're thinking, like, they're not going to have anything to say, and they're just going to go in and say, "You're ten thousand bucks." No, 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 no. Right now, the salesperson's like, finally, they understand why my competitor's are so cheap because they're a level two, and we're a level three, and they said, "Hey, I want a level three. I know I want a level three because I have read the article and that's definitely what I want. I want level three.
0: Right. And the ideal world as we're going to get to it, but it won't be ever ideal. I suppose it will continuously evolve. But by the time that they've done their research, the dark funnel, uh, intent buyers, and they get to you and you've then continued their journey of becoming educated, that literally when that salesperson, perhaps they're not a salesperson anymore, they become more of an order taker because they know exactly what they want. I believe you can get there.
1: You can. There's no question about it. And even saying that scares a lot of businesses. because, like, what do you mean by my sales team? It's like, okay, if you had a choice, would you rather your sales team be on the bloody battlefield every single day or would you rather them be doing much more order-taking? The answer is obvious. It doesn't mean they're not valuable still. It just means... Like, it's obvious to those that are listening. These are the choices we have. Again, I go back to some of the initial points that we made at the beginning. We have a choice. We can address the question, the fear, the worry, the concern, or we can allow our competitors to do it. That is the choice we have. Which would you prefer?
0: You know, all of this integrates very well also with process, right? And uh, we did a a podcast with Mike Payton, otherwise known as Payton. He's uh, he wrote a book on process. He's an EOS guy. You know about EOS? Oh, sure. Yeah. Great framework. Yeah, they, they all integrate together in so many ways. So this is our time when we get to know you a little bit better. the audience gets to know you a little bit better. um, We call it our tech tainment session. We have not asked you these questions in advance, have we?
1: I have no idea what you're going to ask me.
0: All right. Well, Brian, you're on. Sure. So
1: Marcus, when it comes to something about you, a personal trait or a mentality that you have, what is something about you that still gets in the way of your professional goals? I tend to be very disorganized, especially with uh, small details, and I will procrastinate with those
0: things. It sounds like um, me.
1: Yeah, it sounds um, like somebody else I know. Yeah, yeah. very
0: much. <laughs> and if you read Traction, you, it talks about the visionary and the integrator. Do you, if you remember that? When I read it, I was like, oh, my God, I'm the visionary. I, no wonder I hate the small details. I need an integrator. So that's how these things dovetail together. So my question for you is, What mistake do you keep making over and over again?
1: Well, this is tougher because I feel like I've been on a journey of personal development my whole life. I would say that there's probably still times where I under-interview in the hiring process because I go too quickly with my gut versus really testing the person out and seeing How they are in actual performance.
0: Yeah. I think that's commonplace, by the way, commonplace, uh, because I do think you have to have a hiring process. By the way, you speak to the Preto principle as well,
1: very much so. Believe in it very strongly,
0: yeah, me too. And uh, even with the process concepts and what and the concepts you talk about is you reverse and you think about what are the twenty percent of the things that I can do to get eighty percent of that uh, of the results? So you know it's not not so overwhelming at that point. And so if it's a hiring process, uh, you're going to think about what are the twenty percent? What's the steps I need to take in the hiring? assessments, et cetera. And numbers don't lie. Anytime you can put a number on things, um, we now have a four-step hiring process. So we use some rubrics as well to help take that, that little gut instinct away you know, because it hasn't always served me well. Sort of like flying a plane without instruments, right? I could be upside down and think I'm right side up. So you need your instruments. This has been awesome, man. I've been looking forward to interviewing you for a long time. So the book's been out a long time. Again, the book is They Ask, You Answer. The author is Marcus Sheridan. Where can they find this book? You can
1: pretty much find it uh, online anywhere. And, you know, it just, what's wild about, first, it came out in 2017. The revised version came out right at the end of 2019, beginning of 2020. I can tell you it's selling more today than it's sold 2017. It's picking up momentum like a snowball rolling down a hill. It's so fun to watch. It's so cool to be a part of. And that's because transparency, honesty, trust, they're fundamental truths of business and of the human existence. And I think the book is going to have legs for a long time. I agree with you. And I think it's amazing that you, uh, from what I read, Did you
0: have a teacher's background? Were you a, um, did you go to school for teaching or education? Yeah,
1: I went to school to be a PE teacher.
0: You did. Interesting. Well, uh, I think it's really served you well because you've brought it over to they ask you answer, which is an element or a large part of is teaching and getting that trust. So I think you've you've done a very good job. Is there anything else you want to talk about? You know, Other books that you have out that you think would be relevant to... Folks who are trying to improve their businesses, uh, their lead flow.
1: Geez, you know, I've got some coming out that are. I think I've got a book that's going to come out probably in the next year and a half, two years. That I think is is going to do ten x what they Ask You Answer has done. But I'll I'll just I'll just wait for now. You know, I continue to believe Good to Great is one of the premier business books of all time. That's certainly my most listened to business book of all time. I think the most important personal development book ever written is How to Win Friends and Influence People to this day. And I still, to this day, listen to Jim Rohn. If you've not listened to Jim Rohn before, everybody... I know you have Jim, but others probably haven't heard of him. But he was Tony Robbins before there was a thing called Tony Robbins. And you can find him on YouTube, R-O-H-N, Jim Rohn listen to some of his stuff. He's absolutely magical and he's transformational and uh, highly recommend him.
0: Yeah, I agree. He's also an Instagram folks. I follow him on Instagram and I always say, uh, I go back to Earl Nightingale. How's that? Before yeah, the Tony Robbins of the Worlds. Yeah. So, they can um, grow
1: rich, right? Is that right?
0: No, that was uh, Hill. Yeah, it was Napoleon Hill. Hill Nightingale
1: was the same group, though, as Hill. Yeah,
0: he was. We he's, could go uh, down the history road of personal uh, development here. <laughs> all right. So, uh, any, hey, anything on the roadmap for you? Uh, any new, any talks coming up? You're going to be doing anything in a master class or?
1: You're going to see me around. I mean, one thing that I do have is a free They Ask You Answer course on our agency website, which is impactplus.com. So, if anybody's listening to this, you can go to impactplus.com and there's a place, we have a essentially a platform, learning platform called Impact, Impact Plus Pro. And there's a whole set of free courses on there that are literal video courses that you'd pay a bunch of money for online that you don't pay. And one of them is that They Ask you Answer a course. So if you've heard this today and you really want all the basics uh, taught by me on video, it's about an hour and a half. It's free. Go to impactplus.com and you can check it out there. It's very, very, very cool. Well, to all the listeners, you can do that. you got to read the book. If you don't, you're missing out. And follow me on LinkedIn, by the way, because that's where I live on LinkedIn and I'm a dang good follow on LinkedIn. Okay, I, I think I'm following
0: you. Hopefully, did you follow me back, by the way? I hope you did. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, you know, I, I, I don't know, I, I'll check. I don't,
1: if you requested it, I did. Right? Okay,
0: I'll check. But folks, you got you to read this book, man. And if you're not doing this, you're going to fall behind. And if you're really trying to grow your company or become more efficient, this is a part of it. This is a part of your journey. So I want to thank you very much, Marcus, for joining us today. Uh, I want to thank Brian for being that sidekick uh, with his one technic question. He really didn't do much, did he, Marcus? You're welcome. I thought he was great. <laughs> well, I thought he was great being yeah quiet was good. I was Let just, just learning. While we're talking. Good, yeah. Well, you need to learn this like the you know, back of your hand. You just, uh, damn it! it. <laughs> so no, we really enjoyed this, and thank you very much. Uh, thanks to the listeners, you can he- uh, find our podcast wherever podcasts are found, uh, Amazon, uh, Apple, iTunes, all that stuff. Literally everywhere. Everywhere when it's growing. So thank you folks for your listening. Subscribe, save, all that stuff. All right. Thanks, Marcus, again. Uh, We really enjoy this. Terrific. My pleasure. Be well. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Growth Enablement Madness podcast. I also want to thank divinio podcast for this episode's production and distribution. Finally, thank you to Sam Ward for our musical introduction and outro. Be sure to check out all of our episodes wherever you listen to your podcasts, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. New episodes are available monthly and cover all important topics for growing and scaling your business. Until next time, this is Jim Ward signing off. Let's grow.